Ezekiel, they're actually writing from uh, captivity. They're writing from Babylonian captivity. So, so here's what happens. During Josiah's time, King Josiah, that's 25 years before this, there's a revival. There's a return to the Lord. And, and people's hearts are moved uh, with uh, a, a desire to seek the Lord. Uh, but the challenge is that Josiah's revival, it's a, it's, it ultimately, not that Josiah was shallow, a returning and a repentance is supposed to do and, and, and really turning the people's hearts back to God. Well, here's the deal. During Josiah's revival, God's, God's moving. He's moving with power. And Jeremiah starts his prophetic ministry. And what happens is Jeremiah starts seeing visions of Babylon's impending you know, judgment on Israel during the revival. Now just think about how unpopular of a message that would be. Everybody's in revival and his visions are all about judgment. Now, you know, when you tease out Jeremiah's ministry, you find out he was hugely unpopular. He was unpopular with the people. He was unpopular with the leadership. He was a, he was a hugely unpopular guy. In fact, he literally has no converts. <laughs> Decades of prophetic ministry, and, and he's got him and his scribe, and that's it. He ends up in jail. And what you find is that the Lord is using Jeremiah as his mouthpiece and he's using him as an emotional trumpet. Like Jeremiah's actually feeling the heart of the Lord for the people of Israel. He's broken and he's weeping. He's this weeping prophet who's broken over the state of the people who actually will not fully turn to the Lord. And, and, and so for 25 years, he's declaring, I see the standard of war and I hear the sound of the alarm of war and the people are not having it. And so here you have Jeremiah with this prophet, with this deep prophetic burden that's creating much difficulty. And um, he's ultimately rejected. He ends, he ends up imprisoned. And, uh, you know, he's rejected by the, by the king, by the people, by everyone. And everything he prophesies comes to pass. And when we, when we read Jeremiah, it's really important that we don't cherry pick the verses because if you read Jeremiah 29, the Lord says, I know the intentions that I have for you to do, to do good and to bless you uh, for a hope and a future. You know that verse? We, we love that verse, don't we? Like that one ends up on our mirrors. That ends up on our car dashboard. That's a good tweet. Makes you feel happy. And it does. Devotionally, man, that lifts the soul. Like God has good intentions for you. The reason why the Lord is saying that to Jeremiah is because he's saying, I'm judging you. <laughs> See, context really matters. This is what I was talking about a few weeks ago when you actually don't read it just devotionally, but you read it narratively. And you find that the Lord is actually having to encourage Jeremiah and the people because he, the Lord is about to bring judgment in, a, in an intense way, and he's saying, through this judgment, I have good intentions for you. Can we hear that this morning? That the Lord, sometimes the greatest measure of mercy the Lord gives us is to judge his people, to correct, discipline, and judge so that he will bring us to our knees.
And so when you get your mind around that in, in the book of Jeremiah, then you realize, oh wow, God is way more interested in my eternal blessing than he is in my temporal comfort. <laughs> I'm happy in God because I trust him in his judgments. His judgments are good, they're righteous altogether. And he's ultimately a father who has good intentions for his children, but he does not spare the rod. Amen. So here's what Jeremiah was having to illuminate to Israel. He has to tell Israel, you're gonna come under the judgment of God and it's good for you to come under the judgment of God. In fact, in Jeremiah 7, it's one of the most, it's just so unsettling because he, the Lord actually tells Jeremiah, quit praying for deliverance from Babylon. It's like, wait, what? God goes, it's actually better that you get judged by Babylon. And what we would find is that the people will end up in revival, but it'll be about 70 years later, it, it will end, 100 years later when they actually return unto the Lord, there's gonna be a great return when they actually go through Babylonian judgment and then end up back, they end up back in the land, they rebuild the temple ultimately, and there's a, there is a, a, a time of great turning. It's, a, it's, it's essential for the people to go through the disciplines of the Lord. So in Jeremiah 7, he requires Jeremiah to tell Israel, now think about this. They know they're God's chosen people and they have the temple. He requires Jeremiah to tell Israel, hey, don't think because you're God's people and that you have the temple of God in your midst that God's not gonna judge you. He requires him to say that. And that's where we actually get Jeremiah's commentary where he goes, uh, I decided you know, not to speak but your word was in my heart like a fire shut up in my bones. And I knew that if I held it back, I would faint. And, he, and, and Jeremiah actually complains to the Lord. He goes, you deceived me, Lord, because I thought it was gonna be good. <laughs> and instead it was a fire inside of me. I couldn't hold it back. We always pick that verse out of context and we go, ah, that preacher, he's on fire. It's like a fire shut up in his bones. Well, the fire shut up in his bones was this word of judgment that he did not wanna release. And so he decided not to say it. And he goes, when I said I wouldn't speak, your word began to burn inside of me like a fire shut up in my bones. And I was wearied from holding it back. I could not. And so Jeremiah's ministry is not one that, you know, any guy ever thinks, I just want to be just like Jeremiah. Nobody, nobody's shooting for no converts, going, you know, getting thrown in jail and everybody not liking him as a result of ministry, but Jeremiah's ministry is critical. And we see the heart of God through Jeremiah in a way that you just almost don't understand. That, and here's the premise. God, the principle that God teaches us through Jeremiah, God will use the least severe measures necessary to bring about the greatest amount of salvation and blessing. He has no problem using difficult measures to bring the people of God to their knees when they finally call out to God. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So let's read now Jeremiah 17, and this is the verse the Lord has been 
putting on my heart in a deep way that I've been trying to connect and I feel like this week he gave me clarity on. But let's read Jeremiah 17, five through 10. We'll just read it in context or just in the context of what I just shared. And, uh, and so here's what, here's what the Lord says to Jeremiah. He says, cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their, their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. And then verse nine, he, he explains he's gonna investigate us. He says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. He goes, who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, I search all the hearts and examine secret motives. And I give all the people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. He said, you guys, you don't even understand your hearts, but I do. You don't understand how wicked the human heart can be. He goes, but I do. And here's how I operate. I test the hearts. I bring pressing and blessing to test human hearts, to reveal what's on the inside, and then I'll reward according to the actions that follow the heart. That's what he's saying there. It's, it's kind of gangster, guys, what God's saying here. It's, it's so intense. I mean, when you read Jeremiah, he literally tells Jeremiah at one point, I'm raising up the Babylonians to come. Don't pray against it and when you go into captivity, pray for the blessing of Babylon. That would be like the Lord speaking right now saying, I'm raising up China to invade the United States and I want you to pray for that to happen and pray for the blessing of China. I mean, if, if you just, you know, I'm not saying that's what God's saying, I'm just saying if you just take the metaphor. Some of you are like, are you saying that? No, no, chill people. But I'm just saying, this is so intense. This is our Bible. And our, our problem is that so often we are so connected to temporal blessing, American exceptionalism, and these kind of terminologies as the standard for the blessing of the kingdom of God. And we don't get it that God is operating on an extremely different plane and a much higher level. And if he has dealt historically with Israel in this kind of way, his chosen people, the seed of Abraham, the place of the giving of the law and, and, and the people who held the covenants of God and the location of the temple of God where the glory of God dwelt, if he's dealt with his own people in this manner, how much more should our own hearts be aware that he will happily disrupt our temporary comforts even on a national level, in order to get us on our faces, to seek him. And somehow, I think, in our national conversation, 
we imagine that the only way that God can sort of bring his kingdom is by blessing America in a way that we see it and feel it. And I just wanna propose something that God is not fastened to having to bless America in a way that we see and feel in order to get his will done. Do, do you hear me? He is not bound by American exceptionalism or any of this stuff. He's bound by one thing, and that's the glory due his name and his unwavering zeal to see his son exalted across all the nations. He's the God who moves boundary lines of nations so that men will grope for God. That's who he is. And we have to put him, he's not, guys, this is gonna just, I mean, I love the United States, I love our freedoms. He's not up there waving an American flag in the throne room, okay? So we have to actually see that our citizenship, while we have a, a, a beautiful nation built on beautiful ideals, melting pot of people from all over the nations of the earth, that our American ideas, while they're beautiful and awesome, there is a transcendent kingdom that is so far above the ideal of America. And, and, and he's, he's just not up there waving an American flag. I, I pray for the blessing and the righteousness of our nation, that our leaders would be righteous. I pray, I mean, I weep, I groan, I mourn over that. But I recognize that our God he is not bound by our national boundaries. He'll do whatever is necessary to bring his kingdom to the earth, which means he will move America in any way that he sees fit. Okay? So, stay with me. It's, it's gonna get more intense. <laughs> so I have an intercessor's burden. I was in prayer this week and I, my, my soul... It was, I, I, I was thinking about David, how he said, my soul is disquieted within me. My soul is like, I couldn't rest. You ever get that feeling where you just kind of like, where, where do I sit? And then you sit down and say, this is not comfortable. And in, inside of me, it felt like that. And I was like, Lord, what is going on in here? And he began to clarify to me what was happening in my own soul because of the burdens that I was feeling. I... Um, I, I wasn't able to wrap words all around it, but let me just work through this that I've written in the notes. You know, obviously we've been saying it all year, we're in an unusual time. We have a pandemic, there's great social unrest, there's public outcry, there's vitriol in, in public discourse like I've never seen before in, in my personal you know, lifetime. There's deep political partisanship um, and volatility in our nation. We're, we're coming into this election period and it looks to be maybe the most divisive one that we've seen in our lifetimes. Here's the thing that I'm anchored to. I know God is not surprised. He's not in shock. And I affirm and hold fast to the fact that God is still directing things according to the counsel of his will. I affirm that and believe that I trust his leadership. And so I began to feel deeply, deeply burdened this week and I couldn't get my mind around it and then this phrase floated into my mind that it was echoing 
For, for me, it was echoing basically all day Tuesday. And the phrase is this, the soul of America is hanging in the balance. The soul of America is hanging in the balance. And so I'm convinced of this, that we're at, we've, we've crossed a line in 2020, we're at a turning point, that God's dealing with America is different now than what we've experienced, that he, I'm convinced that he is so jealous for the United States, he's so je- jealous for the church in our nation, that he has shifted gears in the way he's dealing with us. And I believe he is gonna, in his, in his kindness and his mercy, he's gonna continue to release measures of discipline, correction, and judgment in order to bring us to righteousness. When the judgments of the Lord, he said this to Ezekiel, when the judgments of the Lord are in the earth, the people learn righteousness. And so I've, I'm convinced we crossed a line in 2020 that we're not, gonna, we're not going back on. It's not changing. God's agenda, and, and not his agenda, but his activity and the way that he's disciplining us, it's shifted. It's kind of like as a parent when you realize the means that you're using to discipline a child aren't working, and, and then you go back and, you, you, and you, you pull out that old child book and you're gonna, what am I doing? And you, and you figure out, oh, we gotta do this a little differently. Well, God, he, he didn't have to pull out the book. He is the book. And he has, I feel, accelerated the way, the measure in which he's dealing with us. And so that brings me to this, that I'm completely convinced, biblically convinced, not not just I have a sense from the Holy Spirit. I'm biblically convinced that the desired ends the Lord is after are not gonna be accomplished by a political party. They're not gonna be accomplished by either candidate that's gonna occupy the presidency. What God is bringing about is far bigger than American politics and, and the ability of our political offices. Now, somebody thinks, well, what are you saying? Should we not vote? No, you need to vote. You need to vote by the Holy Spirit. I encourage you right now, go online, get the ballot. I would encourage you to get a nonpartisan ballot so you don't vote party lines. Get a, a vote, if you're gonna vote one party line, vote Holy Spirit party. Get that party line. And pray and research and be informed so that you can make a legitimate, informed, led by the Holy Spirit decision. So I'm not saying don't vote, but I am saying that neither of these parties that we're staring at in in American politics are God's answer for what he wants to release in America and what he wants to release in the earth. I also feel that he is after our hearts He's after humility, he's after unity, and he's after love. More than who you vote for, it's how you treat the people that don't vote the way you vote. That is an imperative for the church right now that I think is so critical that we are absolutely missing. And so we've gotta recognize that God's desires are not primarily centered around 
uh, American exceptionalism, an American political party. His desires are primarily centered on his son receiving the glory due him, his son receiving the inheritance of the nations. That's what God is after. He's zealously after that. And so I came to this place this week that, man, the ideal of what America could be, the soul of America, it's hanging in the balance. We've got to pray for the soul of America. And then I started feeling about the church, that the church itself is so divided that we have to pray for the unity of the brethren right now. If the church starts biting and devouring one another because of American politics, we have lost our center. Our center is Jesus. Our center is love of the brethren. Our center is the values of the kingdom of God. If you all of a sudden decide, well, they said they're a Christian, but they voted for so-and-so, they couldn't be a Christian, which is exactly the rhetoric in, in public right now, on both sides. If that's your mentality, I'm asking you, please repent of that. Because that is not the testimony of the Spirit of the Lord right now. The testimony of the Spirit of the Lord is the, he's, he's operating uh, to, to, to uh, animate the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17, that we would be one, even as Jesus and the Father are one. And our unity of the Spirit is not in danger by any political party. The, the unity of the Spirit is in danger if we decide that our politics somehow are greater than our allegiance to Jesus Christ. And beloved, that cannot be the testimony of the people of God. It cannot be. And so I'm asking you for, for humility, for meekness, for prayer, for love to abound right now. From a heart that says we need Jesus more than we need anything else right now. I, I, like, I'm pleading with you. I, I, Jeff posted something this week, and, and I just want to mention this. My mom brought this up to me. She says, I'm not on social media, so I don't know anything. She goes, could you tell me what's going on, how the Lyles are? And I just want to tell you guys, Jeff and Amy are doing awesome. I love them. They're doing awesome. We talk all the time. We talk regularly. He misses our, being here with our spiritual family, but they're having an amazing sabbatical. <laughs> And so, you know, they're doing amazing. I want you to know that. He's physically doing amazing, bright. There's a touch of God on him. It's special. What going, I can't wait for him to come back and unleash on us because God is filling his heart so full in this season. Yeah, amen. I know, it's just awesome. I'm so excited for them in this season they're in. But uh, I don't know what I was saying, but here's the point. Oh, he said this. Jeff said this this week. He said, we've got to dethrone our politics and enthrone Jesus Christ. I thought, man, that was so well said. So well said. And so uh, we've got to pray for the soul of America. We've got to pray for the unity of the church. We have to pray for a God-birthed, God-breathed revival that's not like Jeremiah's revival, but it's like the, the revival that Joel prophesied. Fasting and weeping and mourning if my people 
will rend their hearts and not just their garments. And the Lord will come and pour out his spirit. That's what we need right now. Not a shallow thing, but something deep, something transformative, something that shakes all the power bases from the church house to the White House, amen. And so we were praying as a leadership team this weekend, uh, this week, and, and, and feeling this in a, in a way that, you know, it just, this is a critical time. And, and so what, we, what we're doing is we're inviting our whole spiritual family to cover every day in fasting and prayer all the way to the election. From now to November 3rd. Now, now we're not asking you to fast the entire time. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, praise God, not another 40-day fast, glory I had good lunch plans today. I just really want to keep, you know. But what, what we are asking is that in light of the way things are right now that are shaking in our nation, that we as a spiritual family would come together and, and cry out to the Lord for the soul of America, that the ideal of America, that a nation under God, that that wouldn't be lost right now. And, and cry out for the soul of the church that the family of God would be so linked and knit together in love and in unity and that we would cry out for a mighty move of the Holy Spirit, a revival that transcends American politics, that transcends every function and, and, and facet of our nation that goes everywhere through the, through the school system, the entertainment system, the political system, the church system, that God would move in mighty power, turning many to Jesus fully. Not, not a Josiah revival, but a deep, deep change and shift. And so put up the, uh, the lower third there, how people can sign up for this. Let's go ahead and throw that up there. We got that? I see Matthew getting it done. There it is. So here's what I want you to do. I want you today, just go ahead and you can write this down and put this in your phone. And all you have to do is text 40 day fast, 40 day fast to 75787. Okay, we had to change our number a few weeks back. 40 day fast to 75787. And what you're gonna get is a spreadsheet and you can pick what days between now and the election you, you, wanna, you wanna pick as your fast and prayer days. And I'm just asking all of us to participate. Now, some of you are carrying a deep burden right now, similar to how I feel, and you're gonna wanna fast a, a, a long period of time. I say, God bless you, go for that, do whatever. If some of you think, I wanna fast the whole time. I had somebody text me yesterday, they said, I just, I feel like I might need to fast the whole time. I went, well, God bless you. But, but some of you, it's a day a week, like we've talked about as a spiritual family, how we wanna encourage everybody to fast a day a week. Some of it's a day a week. Some of it's, you know, maybe add a second day of fasting in a week. Uh, I wanna encourage you, let us all do it together as a spiritual family because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man and woman makes much power available, amen. And this is what we want to bring right now into the earth is a people whose hearts are turning toward the Lord in humility, in brokenness. And, and, and that, that song we sang was so powerful that we would dance and mourn at the same time. Because here's what I know, though I'm feeling all these burdens, I'm having so many people right now that are sensing 
that God is moving, that there is a power that God is getting ready to release. I wanna tell a quick testimony. I was uh, talking with Amy Lyle this week. She was sharing some things with me about what the Lord's doing in their lives and, and uh, so exciting. And, and, and then uh, we prayed for a moment and she had this inner vision. And, and some of you will have seen, how many seen Chronicles of Narnia? How many ever seen that? Yeah, yeah. So she's, she has this inner vision of this part of the movie where Aslan hasn't shown up yet, but he's getting ready to. And, and the, the sound has gone out in the land. Aslan's on the move. He's on the move. He's coming. He's on the move. And, 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 and she could see that part where the snow is melting, right? And, and so uh, she, she, you know, she has this little inner vision. She sees that. She shares it with me. And we were over in the prayer room. As she shares it with me, she gets it out of her mouth. And literally within five seconds, the person that's leading the worship set, they're, they're singing the song. And the phrase in the song talks about how the winter is past and the springtime has come. And they sing that right as she's sharing with me. She goes, I could see the, the image of the snow melting. The winter has passed, springtime. I was like, what? And she just starts weeping. And I'm just telling you, I've had a bunch of those in the last few weeks. I think God's on the move. I believe we're gonna be dancing in a time of blessing while the Lord is actually correcting our nation and trying to bring us back to God. I think it's the both and. And we're supposed to fast and pray unto that end. So I'm asking you to sign up for that in our, in our text. Now, I wanna share this from Jeremiah 17, five, and I'll, I'll just take another 10 minutes. And I'll ask you to get the notes from online because there's some real precise commitments I think we need to make as it relates to voting and, and people voting. We just decide we are not gonna sever relationship over voting, I mentioned that. But let me just read this from Jeremiah 17, five. I'll take 10 more minutes. Jeremiah 17, five. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. I personally had to realize that while I don't think about any individual as somebody I trust, that there are human institutions that I put my trust in, like the American economic system. It's a human institution. And this phrase, it just started rattling me. Cursed is the man who trusts in mere humans. And then it says, they put their trust in mere humans. They rely on human strength. And I started thinking about the American economy, the, the American liberties that we all love and enjoy, the, the American political system, and all these things that, it's like if that got disrupted, what, what, how would I feel about it? And I started feeling very uneasy because I was recognizing areas of my own soul that I was putting my trust in human systems for my own safety and comfort. And he actually proclaims this, cursed is the one that trusts in mere humans. Now he's saying it in the context of an impending invasion from the strongest nation in the earth. Now I'm not declaring that over America. 
But I'm just saying that's the context Jeremiah is saying this in. So you would think we've got to have a good military right now, guys. We, Israel's got to, we've got to muscle up. And he goes, no, no. If you trust in human strength right now, it's a curse to you. I know, so intense. And he says then, he says, and, and he ties it together. You have to see this. And turn their hearts away from the Lord. And he equates trusting in human systems with turning away from the Lord. And I was, I was convicted. I was personally convicted. Because as I started taking inventory of the human systems that I put my trust in, I realized there's a lot of things that I trust that are not necessarily God's you know, peace, his protection, his provision. They're not necessarily God. They're just man's systems. You know, Romans 8, Paul elucidated this. He said the, the mindset on the flesh is death. He, he clearly got that idea from what Jeremiah prophesied. And, and so he says they're stunted shrubs. They have no hope, no hope. If you're trusting in human systems, you have no hope. In other words, if come November 4th and your candidate doesn't get elected and you are in a funk and depressed, where has your hope been? Are you hearing me? We have to trust in Jesus Christ. We have to trust in the Lord. And so he goes on to say, he goes, but blessed is the one whose trust is in the Lord. And they've made the Lord their hope and their confidence. Look, I'm not confident in the prosperity and the quote-unquote temporal blessing of America. I'm not confident in just laws. I'm not confident. We pray for that. We're believing for that. But I'm confident ultimately in this, that our king is ruling. His throne is set in heaven. It's set infinitely above every other throne. He's ruling and he's reigning and he's imposing and influencing his will upon the earth. He's directing everything according to the counsel of his will. And our king is coming. And he is going to release righteousness and justice in the earth. I trust in that. My confidence is in this. David said, when an army besieges me, my heart will not fear. In this one thing will I be confident. And the one thing was, this one thing I ask. This one thing I seek. To gaze on the beauty. To dwell in his temple. To inquire of the Lord. I trust in that. He goes, and then in verse 5, Psalm 27, he goes, and he will be my strength. He will deliver me. He'll encamp around me and deliver me. That's what we trust in. Our hope and our confidence is in the Lord. And he says, you're blessed. And he says, they're like trees planted by a riverbank. The roots are deep in the water. They're fruitful trees. But watch this. And he says, those trees, watch, they are not bothered by heat. Now remember what we were talking about with the different kinds of soil, right? And one springs up and it gets burned off because there's no depth in it. This is what Jeremiah is talking about. He goes, those trees that trust in the Lord, they're rooted deeply in God. And so when persecution and trials comes, they're not bothered. And then he says, they, they stay green even through drought, even through drought, think about that. Does your soul prosper even when the world's 
provisions are failing. It's powerful, the components that he puts in here. He says, they aren't bothered by pressures and trials, the heat. And he says, even when there's drought, they stay green. And then he goes on and says, they are always bearing fruit. And what is he talking about? He's talking about a people whose trust is in the Lord, who's not basing their trust on any human systems, and they tap into something that's of a greater provision, a greater protection, a greater peace, and it's the activity of God manifesting in their lives. And that's, beloved, what the church is gonna look like in this hour, I believe it, that God has a people that are gonna look just like that in this hour and at the end of the age, that they will shine like the stars. They will brightly testify and manifest the glory of the kingdom of God without regard to what the national political landscape is. Can, can I just say this? Some of the most beautiful, bright believers I've ever met live in nations under totalitarian dictatorships. Amen. I've been there. I've met them. I've seen them. Am I suggesting Americans should have a, a totalitarian dictatorship? No, I'm not suggesting that. But what I am saying is, when you put us and our freedoms next to believers, I'm talking about us, the church, next to believers who have been under trials and pressures, there is a glory that's on the church and the nations that we've almost never touched in America. And we have to see things from heaven's perspective right now. Uh, I almost said boys and girls. <laughs> boys and girls. I'm one of them. Because in that, we will stay alive, flourishing, and not tossed by everything that's happening in the society green, we will stay fresh, fruitful. And the Lord is the one that's gonna test this all. He's gonna test all of it. I want you to sign up to fast and pray. I wanna pray for us. I know that what I share isn't the whole picture of everything. I know that. But, but I do know this, that this burden that God's put on me about Jeremiah, I believe it's a word from the Lord right now. Unbeknownst to me, there was a gathering yesterday on the mall in, in D.C. Some of you are aware of it. It's led by a guy named Jonathan Kahn, who's a writer and a, and a prophetic voice. And he got up on the mall in D.C. and he broke a clay pot and preached out of Jeremiah. Just like Jeremiah broke a clay pot in the temple courts and said the Lord is gonna shatter Israel. He preached that message on the mall in D.C. yesterday over America. He says this is a time where the Lord is about to meet us in judgment. We have to pray and fast that God would release the greatest measure of mercy available to bring about the greatest measure of righteousness available. I had no idea that that gathering was even happening. Somebody mentioned something to me. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know what he was preaching. That same burden that he is sharing is the burden that, I, that I'm sharing. That God is asking his people to turn to him right now wholeheartedly, to disconnect from our political allegiances and, and connect 
to the kingdom of God, to the glory of his son, to the will of the Lord in this hour. Amen? Let's stand. Sign up. Let's, let's co- How many want to cover 40 days of fasting and prayer? Come on. All over. Yeah, yeah. We want to cover this. What, what if we had... 20 to 25 people every day fasting and praying in our community for the next, up up to the elections. Oh, it's fantastic. I believe we can have that. Let's pray right now. Lord, I'm trying to be faithful and share what I believe you've given me to share. And so I'm asking for that spirit of sobriety to fill our hearts, that we would be a people, that we rejoice in mourning, that we dance and we weep at the same time, that we believe in the goodness of our God and we recognize that your name is the only name that's gonna be exalted. Your son's name is the only name worthy of glory and praise. And Lord, I I wanna adhere to your admonition from Jeremiah 17, verse five. Cursed is the man who trusts in men, whose heart departs from the Lord. But verse seven and eight, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope and confidence is in you. Could we just, beloved, all just agree together, Lord, our hope and our trust is in you. It's in you alone, not in any American systems, not in political parties. Our trust is in you. They that look to you, their faces are radiant. They're never put to shame. Lord, I pray for the unity of the brethren, the bond of peace. Make us one, even as your son prayed. Make us one. Make us one. Let the love of the brethren abound. Let not any uh, uh, allegiance to American political parties sever brother and sister in Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray for the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We pray for the soul of America, the ideals of America, one nation under God. We pray that that would, that would sustain in this, in this hour, that America would be one nation truly under God. Not, not believing in nationalism, but believing in Jesus. Come, Lord. And Lord, we ask for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit a mighty outpouring of revival, a mighty turning, a rending of the heart and not just the garment. God, where we have participated in sins that have evoked your corrections and and the necessary judgments, God, we repent and we turn to you with fasting and weeping and mourning. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, the Lord says, I will heal their land. I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Lord, we appeal to you. We appeal to you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for meeting us right now. We just give you thanks. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. Amen and amen. God bless you. We love you. You can be dismissed. We're so glad that you joined us today. We just want to remind you about our guest reception and our welcome to the family gathering. 
All the information to RSVP for that can be found below. Also, if you have a child, we want to encourage you to follow New Bridge Student Ministries on Facebook. There you can find children ministry lessons that are fun and engaging. Also, sign up for our e-newsletter and follow us on all social media platforms to stay up to date. Join us this Wednesday at 7 p.m. We'll see you next Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11.15 p.m. Enjoy the rest of your day. Expectation, everything bent. Look and see the glory.